Welcome to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 for March the 20th, 2013. Welcome to the Arts Report. CITR 101.9. Today on the show, we will be talking about Broken Sex Doll at the Cult. We'll talk about the upcoming Blood Relations at Theater UBC with Deb Pigman from UBC Theater. And then we will round out our Vancouver International Dance Festival coverage and end with a, a few books, books, books notes on uh, the latest release from Amber Dawn, who will be joining us at UBC March 25th. But first, Broken Sex Doll, presented by Virtual Stage at the Cult, music by Anton Lipovitsky, Rising Theater, Golden Boy, and uh, Andy Thompson brings us a sci-fi musical sex comedy. Um, I thought we would start briefly with uh, a song from the show. This is uh, I'll Be Yours. Uh, this is on, uh, in August They were of last year, they were doing their developmental workshop. And this is Megan Janowski um, doing Ginger, the Broken Sex Doll solo, I'll Be Yours, from the show. And then when we listen to that, and then we will hear from Mike, Harker and his friend Riley talking a little bit about what they liked and disliked and loved and hated and thought about the show.
Pretty good after only a couple of hours of rehearsal. Uh, and joining us in the studio, we have Mike and Riley. Welcome to the Arts Report, guys. Hello. Thanks for having us. Now, um, Mike is one of our members and art supporters here. And uh, this is your first time on the show, guys, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so give us a quick, like, run now and tell us a little bit about what you like about theater and, like, are, are you big theater heads already or... <laughs> Um, well, not really, no. <laughs> We're pretty new to the theater game, but, uh, um, yeah, I, I go to school here. I'm a student. Uh, I'm in the English department and also visual art department, so, um... And Just, Riley, you are doing the international relations. Yes, I am, yeah. I'm a student here in my third year. Um, don't have a ton of experience with the theater uh, my sister is in the theater department at UBC. She's working on blood relations currently, and she kind of has gotten me more and more interested in this this world that she's really involved in, I guess. Mm, that's yeah. what we're talking about next. We've got Deb, mm-hmm. the head honcho <laughs> PR person over there. Um, okay, so, um, but uh, we were talking earlier, Mike, and you're totally into, you get the sci-fi, you get the feminism, we were talking about that. These things bringing mm-hmm. them together mm-hmm. for Broken Sex Doll. Um Tell us a little bit about the show, um, what it was what it was like in terms of the show and, and what you thought about it, some of the, the strengths of the, the performance. Sure. Okay. Well, um, uh, to begin with, we really enjoyed it. It was a fascinating mm-hmm. experience, and as newbies to theater, mm-hmm. it was even more exciting to see it in that, context, in that context or to see a piece of entertainment in that context and not on screen, for example, which mm-hmm. is where I normally find myself screens factor into this though a little bit don't they (laughs) yeah there's all sorts of visual sensations going on here uh the play itself is sort of to summarize an orgy of visual (laughs) and auditory experiences Um, my goodness yeah uh the i guess just to set up what it's about there's uh it's set in the future and 2137? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Uh, way in the future. And uh, as a form of entertainment, they have these things called feelies. And they are uploaded by anyone. And they are sensory experiences. And until just recently in this futuristic time, they had not been able to break through the the frontier of uh, like physical sensation. So touch. Uh, and this man, Daryl, has that capacity. And so he uploads one of the first feelies that is actual uh, physical sensation, and that becomes a hit, and he gets famous on it. Okay, and so Daryl, he is the one who has this this broken sex doll. Yeah. Um, Ginger, right? Yes. Um, So she is a... We don't know for sure that she's a a sentient being, Mm -hmm. I believe is what it was called, until... A bit into the play, um, when you, when they are they go out on a date and end up having I guess this wonderful sex, <laughs> and um, what what comes out of that is this experience that he uploads onto the the database of experiences becomes a hit, and sort of what follows from that is a series of events that kind of while both being very comedic um, and sort of sensational, really like delves into some pretty pretty heavy content as well. Yeah, you were saying, Mike, that there was like a, a, they were kind of using a lightheaded approach to approach these various issues that are very relevant today. 
right? Yeah, for sure. Can you tell us a little bit about what these issues were and, and kind of how they approached it and what you thought about that? Uh, sure. Last night, there was also a talk back after the play. Oh, perfect. So Phil's in, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was really interesting. There was a lot of um, questions and a lot of comments on how great everything was. Uh, and during it, the director, Andy, uh, d- director, writer, and producer. Wasn't it a stage designer as well? Uh, yeah, he had a, he did everything pretty much. <laughs> um, he did a lot. Um, he mentioned that what he really wanted to bring to light was the technological progression juxtaposed against a potential moral decline uh, amongst human beings. And so that is a pretty heavy subject matter, and in a world that's inundated with sensory information and uh, by modeling and satirizing sort of the YouTube sort of internet experience going to uploading and experiencing someone else's experiences. Um, I mean, he did it in a very comical manner. Everything was and like the musical numbers were hysterical. They were dirty and <laughs> so dirty, <laughs> so dirty, <laughs> but so entertaining. And I think that sort of lends itself to the sensory sort of Mm, opulence that makes it, I don't know, it was a blast to listen to and made it so that you would think critically about these things, but also be able to laugh. And he said uh, in an interview that I read the other day that he did not really want to go so heavy handedly into addressing the subject matter that could be deep and dark, but to make it light. Um, how were the individual performances? Uh, did you any any standout moments for you? Um, I think that the character I can't I think his name was Nizar. Uh, he played the king. So uh, just to summarize this character, I guess he is a a star of these feelies. Um, I think that the feelies was actually referencing a Brave New World concept that mm-hmm. was where people go to the theater and experience. Um, sort of the sensations alongside the viewing of the movie. But, um, so Nizar is a star of these feelies, like a, like a rock star slash porn star, sort of, in this world. And he was just, he kind of made it, all of his scenes were, like, rock opera-esque. He really, like, <laughs> took control of the stage and was sort of overwhelming to watch. At one point he came out on stilts that looked like they were ten feet high. <laughs> and <laughs> I think that he was actually a, a former Cirque du Soleil performer, so oh, he cool. was really, really outstanding. Um, the whole cast was great, though, Yeah. I was I really enjoyed Daryl, who was played by yeah. Benjamin Elliott. He He's, almost looked like Jim Carrey. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about that face yeah. and the way he augmented it. It was like a very great performance by all of them, really. But and we were also talking a little bit about so there's the, the technology part um and then there's also uh and and there's kind of this comment on also as a sex doll, so you have this kind of is she sentient, not sentient, animate, animate uh, woman? And also this like context of pornography becoming more and more real. So um, you had a couple of thoughts about where that connected to like where we are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, it, I think in doing so, it addresses a sort of commoditization and objectification of sex. And I mean, obviously, because for the most part, um, with sort of an exception that, uh, not to spoil anything, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> comes in near the end, they're uh, female uh, sex dolls. So it, it sort of addresses a male construction of the female identity. Mm-hmm. And so it was fascinating to uh, watch that and see that addressed in such a comical manner because it, I mean, it is a 
a pretty serious issue and it's addressed obviously in pornography it's not Mm -hmm. so much the sex that is problematic but the objectification of women and the way that women are treated and the way that sex is treated in that context Mm -hmm. that is very apparent in that great well um are there any final thoughts before we do the the promotion and such part of the (laughs) part of the review but are there any other thoughts closing thoughts uh both as new theater goers and you know fans of sci-fi etc um yeah i guess this is just a really a really neat thing to do and i loved how it was sort of a genre that was both musical sci-fi futuristic and also kind of a serious serious thematic content in the end it was it was really great (laughs) it was just a great time yeah Yeah. we had a blast (laughs) love the theater (laughs) (laughs) great well your converts um (laughs) great well uh thanks so much for joining us on this show come back anytime um if you guys at home ever want to like join up at the station we'll send you to some shows and you can come hang out with me oh my god it's gonna (laughs) be so fun um, so thank you to Mike and Riley. Uh, the uh, Virtual Stage Art Societies, actually, um, uh, who is the artistic director, is Andy Thompson. And they are actually dedicated up, uh, to applying emerging technologies to live performance. Um, so obviously a issue very close to their heart. And then we also, um, you also might know them from the Zombie Syndrome, which was this really cool um, event slash theater piece that was happening uh, on the streets um so you can check out broken sex doll by the virtual stage uh uh, from uh march 13th which was the other day all the way through march 24th um when there will be a matinee and an 8 p.m show at the historic theater at the Colch on venable street um and you can uh check out tonight uh that post-show q a that uh, the guys were talking about. Um, so, yeah, so from the makers of 1984 and the Zombie Syndrome is the sci fi musical Broken Sex Doll on now. We are going to take a break, and when we return, we'll have Deb Pickman from Theater UBC uh, talking about blood relations. Stay tuned. With the vast amount of changes happening in the world, it's almost impossible to get a clear picture of what's really going on. We are trapped within the logic of capitalism, leaving us unable to imagine what comes next. The Extra Environmentalist brings the perspectives of people who can see the whole picture and are ready for whatever comes our way. Tune in to The Extra Environmentalist every Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m. on CITR 101.9 FM. This is the viewpoint that makes all places the same to you. Radio show. Is brewed fresh and served fresh at the peak of its flavor. If you're a tough customer, only the taste of this radio show will do. So go ahead. Let Dunkin' Donuts make your radio experience exquisite. Indeed. (laughs) Dunkin' Donuts, serving sweet treats from the pop underground. Thursdays, noon to one. March 2nd to the 23rd, the 2013 Vancouver International Dance Festival invites you to experience the kinetic simulation of contemporary dance. Delivered to you on stages throughout Vancouver by outstanding dance artists from New Zealand, Denmark, Switzerland, Zimbabwe, Mexico, Malaysia, Korea, Montreal and Vancouver. 
Information and tickets are available online at www.vidf.ca or through our box office at 604-662-4966. Do come in. Someone has killed father. Hello and welcome back to the Arts Report and welcome Deb Pickman. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for coming on. And uh, we are going to talk a little bit about uh, the show that is opening tomorrow that we uh, just set up those those uh, young guns there to come and see That's and do a right. review next week. Yeah, that'll be great. <laughs> so uh, the show is Blood Relations by Sha- Sharon Pollock and directed by Jeanette White. And it's running from March 21st to April 6th at the Fredwood Wood. And uh, as you heard the little ditty at the top of the segment there, it's all about Lizzie Borden. That's right. He, she's the one that took that axe, correct? And gave her mother 40 wax. And when the job was done, she gave her father 41. 41. Um, so is this like a horror play? Like, what is happening here? It is a psychological thriller. Ooh. And um, Sharon Pollock, Canadian writer, amazing, prolific Canadian writer, has taken the true story of Lizzie Borden. And um, she's also exploited her friendship that came later after she was acquitted of her parents' murders. Her friendship with an actress named Nance O'Neill, and she was a famous, somewhat famous actress of the day on stage and in silent films. And uh, the play takes place in 1902, ten years after the murder. And um, it was actually reported in the Times in the uh, news- local newspaper that Lizzie had said she was going to write a play for her friend, mm-hmm. uh, but you know that that never actually happened. But uh, what happens in the in the play is that her friend Nance will not let her alone. Did you do it? Didn't you do it? You know, you've shared all your secrets with me except this one thing. And um, Lizzie leads her through these scenes where she uh, encourages her to reenact life in the Borden household right before the fateful events took place. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we are kind of exploring the mindsets and the events of, of this, like, tragic tale. Um, now, um, tell us a little bit about some of the people that are involved. Obviously, UBC Theater, you got your graduates, you got your students. That's right. Uh, MFA um, directing student Jeanette White. She, like, well, most all our um, MFA directing students came to us with a huge body of work. She uh, comes from Neptune Theater, a long history there. Uh, some people might have seen the last play we did, Rhinoceros, that was uh, directed by our other MFA 
director this year that's graduating, uh, Chelsea Haberlin. Mm -hmm. And we only take two directors uh, admit each year because that's all that we can accommodate to give them this scale and size and scope of a production. And this is a huge production. Features our BFA acting uh, graduating year. There's some intermediate year. And we accept uh, about 15, depending on, you know, who comes out, we of upwards of over 100 applicants we accept 15 each year into the program Mm -hmm. and then it's like a conservatory program where they work really closely with each other and you know develop these great synergies so it's amazing for I think well it's for me and uh, and when I was a student in the program too to come and see how these people shift and develop through their you know years in the shows and so this this show is going to focus on our, our graduate graduating class and then also our MFA and BFA um, designers, set designers, lighting designers, production uh, I don't know some of, I hope some of the people that are listening saw the latest issue of the UBC, they did a great behind the scenes on mm. what happens, like from the petty fours that are the little pastries on the set, the, <laughs> the detail that goes into the creation of this world is incredible um, well, apparently, Riley's sister is a real taskmaster. She is. She's <laughs> the stage manager. Yeah, uh, Shelby um, Bushel, and uh, we have we create the most amazing. We graduate the most amazing stage managers. They're unflappable. She sees, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter what you throw at them: trap doors, you know, flying axes. It's all it's all good. So t- tell us a little bit more about the show. What are are we going to learn any like facts about Lizzie Borden, or is it all kind of? Um, speculative. Well, yes, facts sit into, uh, although, <laughs> like, in is this, this case, a, the facts include speculation. Yeah, there, how many facts are there really, I guess, about the whole thing? Yeah, well, a lot of the, uh, I just came from, I looked over before I came here, the um, dramaturg has um, created this book, and I often wonder myself, you know, a lot of theater professionals still aren't that familiar. Uh, I'm guilty of not knowing exactly what a dramaturg does. Mm -hmm. It sounds like, well, anyway, (laughs) (laughs) it's a strange term. It sounds like something that's made up, but it's a real thing. But she's created this book, and I swear it's five inches deep, and it is in all the facts of what is known exactly about the day-to-day life in the Borden household and all the testimony and the events in the year that it happened, like world events. And so... All this goes in to feed the actor's psyche, right? And the designers and, and everyone. So, I mean, when, I think the thing that this play underlines, because it is a storytelling, it is Lizzie telling her story through this mm. actress. Uh, you know, what is life but the stories we tell about ourselves, about our world? And depending on how we, how we tell those stories, that shapes history and shapes our perception. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, I think those are the kind of insights that, you get and that and that I that I felt like um, compelled to reflect on after reading the play and learning more about it and uh, it, it hasn't been done in Vancouver since 1986 and that's when we did it shortly after it won the Governor General's Award it went all over the world it went to Japan it got a French um, translation and um, it's inspired uh, uh, the story of Lizzie has inspired like a ballet an opera a musical. Um, it's and her home 
if anyone would like to go there, is now the site of a B&B. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a certain type of person who wants to stay there. Now, um, as you mentioned, Sharon Pollock uh, won the Governor General Award for Drama. And now on the 27th, which is World Theater Day, you guys are doing um, a talk back with her biographer, Professor, Sh- Professor Cheryl Grace. Yes. Um, uh, what's going on? What, tell us a little bit about, I don't know much about World Theater Day. Are you guys doing, uh, UBC Theater doing anything special? Yeah, well, um, I think at most all theaters, professional theaters and other on that day, uh, there'll be, someone will read a message, the World mm-hmm. Theater Day message. And this year it's by Dario Foe, who uh, is incredibly imaginative playwright, one of my uh, favorite uh, living. And um, that's read. It's very inspirational. Uh, something we're doing to celebrate is we're opening up what's our, traditionally our UBC alumni night, first Wednesday, $5 for all UBC alumni. And we're offering that to everybody, students. Wonderful. Yeah. Oh. Come one, come all. Um, and, well, 16 and under is still... $2. I don't think, you know, people have to judge themselves on, people often phone and say, is this play going to be okay for my young fry? I, um, probably 14 and up would be what I would say. Um, yeah. So, and then afterwards, we're going to have this talk back with Cheryl Grace and uh, the whole company on stage, the actors, the designers, the director, and it'll be a cool opportunity for people to um, get into it. <laughs> Find out more. Excuse me. Oh, that's okay. Tell us a little bit about what you have coming up uh, as Shameless Hussy. How dare you call me a shameless hussy? <laughs> um, yes, I am part of Shameless Hussy Productions. It's a theater company I founded with a couple of other uh, alumni after we graduated. Um, and you're getting very choked up about this, I can see. <laughs> it's a pretty big deal. I'm very excited. <laughs> And, um, yeah, that's my other hat, uh, shamelesshussy.com, if anybody wants to check it out. We are just going into production now with a play that we're producing. We're producing really a showcase for the general public, but also for educators and other presenters that may want to bring this play into their theaters. It's a play called Dissolve, written by another alumni, Megan Gardner. And it is, um, now this is like a shorthand for it. If I only saw you in an elevator, what's this play about? It's a black comedy about drug-facilitated sexual assault. Ba-do-boom. So lighthearted stuff. It's, it is. It <laughs> is so funny. And that's what is, um, I mean, the most exciting thing about this play. It's got an important message. It's empowering for bystanders of... Uh, these kinds of things we're reading in the paper about increasingly, like the Steubenville that's in the paper. Um, It's empowering for bystanders to see where they could uh, change the whole story. It's empowering from the sense of communicating the kinds of things to look for. It's a satire, really, on the kinds of people that uh, take... Um, they surround this one woman on a night out where we don't we don't do any we see her getting ready and we Mm. meet all these people that see her come through their lives the the um bouncer the two girls that are gossiping in the bar oh my god is that her she's usually so stuck up why is she falling all over that guy Mm. um the the writing is hilarious and what makes it all the more um 
amazing is that the woman that wrote it actually experienced uh, a drug facilitated sexual assault you know a lot of people say date rape that's a misnomer there is rarely a sometimes a date involved Mm -hmm. right for her it happened at a house party who would think about worrying about your drinks at a house party um so how heroic to me for her to come out and not just write about what happened to her but write about it as a comedy Mm -hmm. um it's just the most amazing play she did it in the fringe right after she graduated in 2002 and it just got sucked up by all kinds of teachers and it just kept going and going and going and it really um uh created a nice little income for her megan gardner while she established her professional career um, and now she's busy, and she got together with us and turned it over um, to us and is working with us in, you know, remounting it with uh, um, Jesse Award nomina- er, uh, winning actress, um, Amelia Gordon. And um, so it's uh, a great opportunity for us to do something with it because what we excel in is taking these powerful stories about women mm-hmm. uh, usually with a searing message like this but also again s- uh, selling the message with humor and with uh, compassion and we excel in touring stuff we go to showcases for theater across Canada and into the US and set up our little table and um, sell shows to presenters and just spread the hussy message so we're totally stoked about this it's going to be at um, CBC Studio 700 uh, May 20th to 24th and there's some matinees in there too and um, well hopefully the art so the art support will come and check it out we'll do a little review yes that would be great Deb, thank you so much for rounding up our, our first half that uh, seemed to uh, be all about uh, the addressing uh, issues around uh, female bodies in a funny way. Mm, yes, I was struck by the similarities <laughs> between these uh, themes as I prepared. And I hope, can you give some tickets away for blood relations? I would love to give some tickets away, Deb. So why don't you do the honors and tell people the number. It's right up there that they can call. You can call 604-822-8648. That is 604-U-B-C-C-I-T-R. And uh, we are going to uh, go into an interview. So during that interview, uh, please call in um, or shoot me an email at arts at C-I-T-R dot C-A. And uh, let me know if you want to come see Blood Relations. Um, I'm going to try my best to get to it because I actually have always found that Lizzie Borden Borden story very interesting. Um... Even if she is just a psychopath, like, there's so few female... Psychopaths. Psychopaths. Let's get the Anti-heroes. equality. Equality, you guys. Yes. That's what we're all about here at the Arts Support. Thank you so much, Deb. Thanks, Megan. And we actually are going to continue our uh, theme throughout the show with a brief detour into uh, Vancouver International Dance Festival's uh, Dancers of Damalahamid. And uh, these guys are led by uh, the mother of a family. Her name is Margaret, and she's the artistic director. And they are going to tell us a little bit about the story of Spirit Transforming, which they workshopped the other day at Vancouver International Dance Festival and will be coming out uh, in June as a full-length show. And I asked them a little bit about how dancers of Damlahamid got together, and they are a family-based dance company. This piece was Margaret, the artistic director, with her son Nigel, her daughter Raven, 
her husband Andy and close family friend Candace. And they put together a show that represented not only their cultural background, her mother being Cree and her father being Kixan, but also the actual story of them as a family and their spirit transforming. And uh, let's hear a little bit about what Nigel and Margaret had to say about their show and their family history. And when we return, we'll have uh, a few more points from yours truly about what I enjoyed about the performance. And we'll also talk about another chopstick story by Swedish company T for Two, which uh, continues through March 21st. Please enjoy. Margaret Grenier. I'm the executive and artistic director for the Dancers of Dam Lahamid. Hi, my name is Nigel Grenier. I'm a dancer with the Dancers of Dam Lahamid. I've been dancing with this group since 2003 and I'm um, also a UBC student. Yeah. Margaret, can you tell us a little bit about Dam Lahamid and brief introduction to the history? Well, in many ways, the dancers of Dam Lahamid began in the 1950s and 60s uh, outside of the city of Prince Rupert under the leadership of my parents, uh, Ken and Margaret Harris, who at the time were part of a greater resurgence and revitalization of artistic practices of indigenous peoples of the northwest coast and it was following the lifting of the potlatch ban. There were uh, many individuals in the area at the time that began working with young people who had not up until that point really had any experiences with the artistic practices because they had been kept underground for so long. And um, I was fortunate that by the time I was growing up in the 1970s that it was a really vibrant culture and a, uh, that the practices were uh, really integrated into my upbringing. So that was something that I wanted to continue forward for, for my children as well. What was the process of, of developing the show and the story that we got to experience? Um, well, our company went through a couple of really uh, strong changes. Uh, one was in 2003, which was when we began um, to 
form ourselves in a much more constructive way here based out of Vancouver and began um, developing uh, production style songs and dances that I grew up with and that were um, uh, led by my parents for several decades. And this is the work that we did for about seven years until three years ago when my father passed. And at that time, we went through another very significant change where we wanted to pass on um, the songs and dances, which are hereditary rites. That was done through my father's lineage. And as a family, uh, our immediate family wanted to look at a way to continue these practices to ensure that our work would move forward as well. And so we began to choreograph and create... um, new work based on the traditional form and because that was such a significant change that happened within ourselves and within the work that we had done up until that point we really felt that it in itself became a story and what you saw tonight was um, has been named Spirit Transforming or Luholt and it's about the process of um, going through a time of loss and rebuilding yourselves and being reborn out of that process and what is created and what transformations take place within yourselves. And so that was the story that was shared through this piece. Nigel, you are the central figure of the dance tonight. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about the transformation, um, both within the story but also Um, the transformations that you have uh, witnessed and participated in and that are represented here tonight. So what you're seeing when you see the dance is a young person who comes out and they're lost, they're searching, they're looking through uh, a metaphorical forest, they're going, you know, pushing the branches aside, looking under rocks, climbing over mountains and jumping over streams, and they're looking for something because they can't find it. Even though physically the person looks complete, there's something missing. And um, the, the dancer ends up in the middle of the stage just holding their head in their hands and wondering, you know, where could I possibly go from here? I've looked everywhere. And then it's from that point on that help comes in the form of a welcome song. And then other dancers from my group come on singing this welcome song, representing my family and the support that they, that they could have for me. And then from there I wake up and I, uh, I encounter that there's a, a spirit, a knock-knock, that comes onto the stage and... Uh, I, I have an encounter with this spirit, and um, and from I'm drawn to them, and I'm pulled, and I manage to break away, um, and then I, I dance by myself as as my full self. And during that encounter, I, I'm transformed piece by piece. My mask comes off, and I um, I tuck them away, and I give the last piece to this spirit, um, and and then I'm I'm totally free of my mask and what you can see underneath my mask is my actual you know my real face my human face, and um, and th- and then I'm able to dance by myself because you know I've, I've received the support of my family and of my ancestors and um, I've completed this journey and then from there there's a more celebratory song at the end a headdress dance or peace dance um, where where I'm dressed in full regalia and and I dance for everyone um, having completed my journey. So that's what you're seeing when you're looking at the piece from like on on the stage, and for me, what I'm representing, what I'm going through, in part, it's the very 
the general um, process of growing up, gaining independence, learning about who I am as an individual, I think that's a pretty universal thing that's expressed through this piece. However, of course, there's more personal um, messages too, and like my um, my mother already said, there's um, reference to the transformation that our group had. Um, you know, both the creative creation of our group in 2003 and then the transformation that we underwent in 2010 as we started producing and creating um, dances and songs of our own, not just stuff that had been passed down from generation to generation, but creating our own stories and songs that, you know, are worth being shared with the world. So, it is, of course, it's a very uh, difficult process to go, to go from scratch and to try to build things from nothing. Um, other than the knowledge and background that we had with our history and our, and our dance. Um, so all those things are come, kind of come together in this performance. What is the importance to you personally and culturally about participating in something like a, a da- an international dance festival and sharing what is a, is a very personal story? is a lot of what we do that carries importance in terms of um, the inheritance that we've received from the work of our parents and how we are looking to pass that forward to future generations. I think that there's something more important than just holding on to it in that manner. I think that our collective um, history in BC is so influenced by a very recent colonial past that the only way that we can use art to in many ways um, transform ourselves and bring our bring an ability for our community in itself to transform and bridge differences is by sharing a very personal story through dance. Nigel, uh incorporating these dances and and dancing with your family have you did you notice any type of trajectory change or any type of influence on you as a person or or was it something that you were used to yes and no because i it these dances are something that i've grown up with my entire life so it's a fundamental part of my identity it's something that i connect with very strongly and that's always been present throughout um as long as i can remember i was very young when i started dancing however um, like I said, with the theme of this song, that it is there is a certain aspect of independence and of um, and, and creativity that that's input into there, and, and something that's more personal. I think this is um, it has had a, as a, a unique and distinct influence on my identity as an individual because it's been a way that I've been able to express myself um, through dance and to and to a very large audience. Lots of people have been able to see this dance, and um, it's really been a big moment for me in terms of um, engaging more with the creative side of, of producing dance and of you know just also just ba- the basic fact of discovering what is it that I want to say to everyone what what is important enough to me with me that I want to share it Thank you so much to Margaret and Nigel. I and mean, you're listening to uh, a video of their work that you can find on their uh, page, damalahamid.ca. And, uh, or Damal Hamid. Um, now, they are a professional Aboriginal dance company and the Gitz- uh, influenced by the Gitsad and the Cree. And as they said, you have uh, a combination of traditional and personal story elements 
that um, make it a, a very moving show. Um, actually, just before the show, I was speaking to Margaret Ann, Margaret's mother, um, who was the founder of the family troupe, and uh, even though she couldn't join us for the interview. And yeah, she told me about starting her work uh, in 1951 when the potlatch uh, laws were lifted. And she also had worked um, with uh, the women from the downtown east side um, to create a positive environment for them to express themselves. And she said that it had a really excellent success rate, which I believe, a very compassionate woman. Um, I, I really enjoyed the show. It was short and sweet. Um, I have some problems, as I did with the other show we're going to talk about, another Chopsticks story, because um, the collapsible stage that they have set up creaks and crooks, and there's these poles in the way, and so I was not really happy to, to watch it on that stage, but um, they worked with the stage really, really well, and I very much enjoyed the combination of representation and imagination that was combined, and this is something that I find in dance personally, as well with poetry that we're going to talk about in a little bit, is I like that room to imagine but I like to have meaning imbued into the movements. Um, one of the things that I didn't like, and it'll be interesting to see how they develop this, is that um, Andy and Candace have beautiful voices, and they perform the songs um, in the main, the main part. And uh, they used, uh, you know, those those really powerful hidden mics that the theater. Uh, theater performers use um and i don't know i found it took away the mediation took away uh, their voices were beautiful and pure and lovely to listen to but i mean a lot of the indigenous performances i've seen lately they have this real full-bodied feeling to the songs that is very uh, organic and is very community um you feel like you're part of the the song and i mean far be it for me to relegate traditional indigenous song into into that format or one format but um it sounded a lot more like a pop performance than uh, a community performance and um not by necessarily anything that they were doing besides the mediation of this microphone and this is something that actually um my viewing partner brought to my attention so i can't take complete credit for it but uh, upon him mentioning that i said you know what that that really did make a difference i really noted that so technology can perform uh can be quite quite the instrument even when uh you might consider it neutral now the full piece as she meant uh, will have more family members besides uh nigel her son raven her daughter her husband Andy and her friend Candace, um, and that will be happening in June as part of a Scotiabank residency. They've had, um, they've been trans uh, developing Spirit Transforming for about one and a half to two years, and they've been accepted as a residency at Scotiabank this season. So they will develop the production and add in elements of dance as well as soundscapes and projection using the theater sp space to complement the work. This is what Margaret said. So, um, best of luck to them, and uh, I look forward to seeing the full production in June. And you can learn more uh, about the pieces uh, that you uh, heard about on, um, you can go to vidf.ca, and you can click on their, uh, their tab, um, and then you can click through to their website, which is damalhameddancers.ca. Another uh, performance that I saw and uh, last night and will be on through the 21st, so today and tomorrow at 7 p.m., is uh, by Swedish dance company T for Two. 
T for Two put on another chopstick story. And it is a two-person, half-hour display. It is um, a play on Madame Butterfly, as well as the incoming Western um, figure, specifically male figure, uh, with the traditional East um, influence in the female figure. And um, they are a company from... Uh, as I said, Sweden uh, is Felix uh, Duberil, founded it in 2006, and Misato Inu, uh, and they performed together. Um, you can check them out at t42dance.ch. And what you're hearing now is some of the music from their performances, uh, such as uh, Mukashi Mukashi and Shadow Play. Now, uh, uh, the, the performance starts. Um, with uh, Felix in uh, performing like kind of a, a gibberish and dance gibberish. Some of the things come through, some of the movements and the words come through, and some are completely seeming without meaning. This is the first minute or two of the piece. He disappears, and uh, the, sta- the focus moves to B- Misato, and she is in a somewhat traditional... Japanese garb doing uh, what we, I guess, are supposed to assume is a prayer. But then um, she is expressing herself, and uh, Felix comes on the stage in this Muppet esque oversized Western top coat that has been modified so as to stand. It accentuates his broad shoulders and it accentuates kind of this oversized ridiculousness of the character. So you have this kind of uh, docile uh, Japanese character and this aggrandized male Western and uh, figure. And as they interact, Felix keeps gesturing to his coat. Look at my coat. Have you not seen my coat? Look how big and broad it is. And of course, I, this is very subjective. But I uh, and you see uh, Mitsu and she, Mitsato, and she is uh, looking right past him. Um, and and in, in a way that is at first subservient, and then in a way that is uh, outright ignoring him and defiant. And they come together again and again, and soon they uh, are together. She teaches him, or seems to be teaching him, her ways. And then all of a sudden she says, stop! Stop, stop, stop. Suddenly, she is directing him. He is in the Japanese robe, and he is trying to replicate her prayer and her cultural movements. And he is not doing a good job. But soon, they 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 use these chopsticks to direct each other's movement. It's a it's a very dynamic representation of both the stereotypes and the anti-stereotypes. And then at the end, um. She pops out of backstage, of having left the stage, and in comes in this J-pop style outfit, uh, t-shirt, and uh, they do a little lip syncing to some fun J-pop, and this again transforms into um, 
using these chopsticks, which were just hairbrush-style microphones a moment ago, into directing each other's movement. At first, mostly Felix's, and then her own. And uh, it was just like a beautiful, dynamic, funny, um, interesting show. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, And so that is playing from uh, today and tomorrow at 7 p.m. before Jocelyn Montpetit dance, which I will be seeing this very evening uh, with uh, former art director Adam Janusz, who won tickets during our fun drive show. Thanks, Adam. Um, So check them out at uh, t42dance.ch. I really, really enjoyed the play on both the um, cultural and gender roles. And, uh, and beyond that, just beautiful, beautiful dancing with the modern and experimental elements that I enjoy while still referencing um, some classic, beautiful lines. So good job to you for two, and uh, we will see more from you hopefully at the next International Dance Festival. I'd like to close out the show and continue this uh, discussion of strong female issues um, and uh, that uh, transfer into human issues. That's that's the way I like to think about it. And uh, coming up uh, at UBC on March 25th is Amber Dawn's reading of her new uh, her new release, How Poetry Saved My Life, a hustler's memoir, which will be launched at Pat's Pub on April 12th. Uh, Amber Dawn is the author of Sub Rosa. Sub Rosa was a speculative fictional account uh, of what we assumed by uh, a description of her own person to be a part of her life. In Sub Rosa, uh, it is the story of a place where you can only find if you know where it is, if you're brought in um, by one of the dwellers there, mostly female, but some some men. And it is a beautiful place full of light and promise and the best smells and the best feelings and the best light and the best emotions um, where you can come and uh, enjoy the company of a, a lovely lady um, or gentleman of all shapes and sizes. But just outside Sub Rosa, even though it is bordered on one side by the city, on the other side it's bordered by the dark. The story follows Little from the city to Sabrosa and in and out of the dark. And there is this uh, very, very, like, and I want to make analogies throughout the whole book, and I didn't really know how to do that. 
Um, I, I wasn't really sure of the details of Amber Dawn's experience, except for that she was uh, an excellent writer, for one thing, and uh, that she was a hustler, both on the street, in massage parlors, and in um, a place a little bit like Sebrosa. And the reason we know that it was a little place like Sabrosa is one of the stories in How Poetry Saved My Life, which will be released on April 12th, called Melho's Place. And Melho's Place is a place just off the beaten path that you can find if you know where to look for it, where a group of sex workers have banded together so they can have the safety of numbers that, um, that the world doesn't provide for them regularly. This is one short story in A Hustler's Memoir that is a collection of poetry and short prose that describe her life both through her subjective um, her subjective experiences and objective experiences. She says in the introduction to How Poetry Saved My Life that she at one point said Subrosa was the most autobiographical one could get. And I very much enjoyed the book, but I because of my predilections when it comes to reading finding the analogies from Sub Rosa, these fantastical characters of all shapes, sizes, backgrounds, cultures, and finding their names and their descriptions within How Poetry Saved My Life, um, really brought the reality and the art of Sub Rosa to life for me. How Poetry Saved My Life is, uh, is collected into three sections. There's an introductory essay describing the projects, and then you have uh, Outside, wherein... Um, Amber Dawn describes the work that she did both on the street and a description of her outside life, including the short story about uh, Melho's place, where she describes her uh, interaction with a gentleman who becomes kind of like a boyfriend, but then she realizes that this is almost in a way worth worse than him being a John when it comes to the restrictions of her own personhood. There are um, then in the next section, inside, or indoors rather, and indoors is about her work both indoors as a writer, indoors as a worker, and uh, where she moved into massage parlors, and uh, her work indoors with others. The final section is uh, is called um, is focusing on her inner life. It's called inward, and it focuses on some of the work and reflection that her poems and short stories reveal that she's done uh, over her time, both as a creative writing student, as a sex worker, as a queer leader, and as a woman. And I, I think this section, as she describes it, is also intended to uh, reflect some of the work that I think we're all doing in our own inward-looking selves. Um, I'm a person who really enjoys narrative, and uh, I think that her poetry and her short stories are right up my alley. As a person who likes narrative poetry, direct, sharp writing, 
but with an eye to form. I'm a formalist, maybe. Who knows? The form of her poetry really uses um, formatting, like, line breaks um, to add multiple layers of meaning to otherwise simple statements uh, and images. And the images themselves may be simple on the outside, but their clarity and their emotional resonance are quite, quite powerful. I was very, very impressed. Uh, one of the stories, But I'm in College, uh, really outlines how it is to um, deal with the quote-unquote real world. Um, one of the things that I found very powerful is when she describes starting to actually tell people she was a sex worker when people asked that normal question, what do you do? Um, because the world didn't want her to admit this, wanted her to feel ashamed of it. And I'm sure that she f dealt with feelings of shame, but by opening it up to the world, that's a very powerful and brave way of confronting people's expectations and refusing to internalize the shame that they would like you to. How Poetry Saved My Life, a Hustler's Memoir, as I mentioned, by Amber Dawn, will be launching April 12th at Pat's Pub. And if you are interested, um, and that's 19+, plus, and then there will be an all-ages reading um, at University of British Columbia on the West Mall. Um, Amber Dawn will read from the book as well. There will be a Q&A and a and a reception to follow. And that's March uh, 25th, 4 to 6 p.m. Brought to you by the Institute for Gender, Race, Sexuality, and Social Justice. Uh, she was, up until recently, the director of the programming for Vancouver Queer Film Festival, and she was also the winner of the Writers' Trust of Canada, Dane Oglevay Prize for LGBT Writers, among many other awards. Last but not least, she holds an MFA in creative writing from UBC. So uh, that is my official statement about How Poetry Saved My Life, Usler's Memoir. Definitely a must read, um, not just for the quality of writing, which is excellent and quite moving, and but uh, for the story itself. This has been the books, books, books section of our program. Books, books, books. Thank you so much for listening at home to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9. Um, I apologize for my graveliness. Um, 